When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. My name is Dan Lobby. I'm Mary Kay Cabot. And this is Scott Patsko. And we are ready to uh, get going to talk all things Browns here. Of course, as we always do, uh, we're going to talk some GM search uh, as that is still ongoing. And we're going to talk about some other things that have happened in the Browns universe. Of course, it was the Greater Cleveland Sports Awards last night. So we also got to hear from Kevin Stefanski as well. We are recording this on a Thursday whenever you're listening to it. Uh, first of all, I want to talk about uh, Football Insider. We usually we usually wait a little bit to talk about this, but there were a lot of questions sent in um, that we're going to get to right off the top from our text subscribers. So I want to talk real quick about that off the top. Uh, it's three ninety nine a month. You go to cleveland.com slash Browns and it, you, know, you get texts from me, Mary Kay, Scott, Ellis, uh, you get a newsletter every day, exclusive content, something that, that doesn't show up on our website. Uh, you get to see that just exclusively for our tech subscribers. So uh, a cool service. And you get to, of course, also send in your questions to uh, our podcast. And Mary Kay, you and I, I, I know sometimes do this. I don't know, Scott, I don't know if you've done this yet, but uh, sometimes that exclusive newsletter is questions from texters we, we go through and, and we answer your questions so it's a chance to kind of get uh connected to all of us in a little bit of a different way uh and again mary Kay, I know you've had a lot of experience with that mm-hmm. absolutely and and i think it's just a great way uh to connect and i think that makes uh for uh, a really nice little uh easter egg because you guys have a lot of great great questions we appreciate that and it does give us a chance to just interact like that okay so there you go. Uh, check out cleveland.com slash brown sign up. There's a two-week free trial uh, there. And the reason, again, like I said, that we got to that right off the top is because we had a lot of questions come in about this GM search. And that's what we have to talk about right off the top. It's still ongoing for the Cleveland Browns. Andrew Barry was in on Friday. Uh, George Payton has had two interviews. He was in town for a long time on Thursday. Uh, so let, let's get to this first question. Um this comes from the 216 area code. Uh, can you tell us if the GM search is taking so long because the candidates are tentative about joining the organization that's been so dysfunctional? Uh, or is it just because they're trying to find that alignment that, that they kind of keep preaching about? Well, here's what's going on right now. George Payton was in for a second interview, uh, as you mentioned, Dan. Uh, he left without a contract because he needs to work through some things. Both sides need to see if it's a fit. Uh, But George Payton is not going to leave Minnesota, where he's got it pretty good. He's been with Rick Spielman his entire career. 
He's been with Kevin Stefanski for 13 years of Kevin Stefanski's 14 years in Minnesota. So they have a great working relationship. Uh, and the only reason why he really took this interview in the first place was for the opportunity to come here and work with Kevin Stefanski because it's basically like him hiring his own coach. If he would have had a chance to do so, he probably would have picked Kevin Stefanski wherever he ended up. Uh, so it's that opportunity, but it's also a, a job that gives candidates pause because this is going to be the sixth Browns general manager since 2012. And these guys have to get a comfort level. I'm sure they're talking to some of the other GMs that were here, uh, finding out what some of the problems were and some, what some of the issues were. To make this type of commitment, uh, you have to really be ready to get married to the Cleveland Browns organization and hope that they are going to not want to, div to divorce you in two years, right? <laughs> and uh, so every one of these candidates really has to dig in, do their due diligence, and make sure that they're they're walking into an organization that really is now committed to some stability. Yeah, I wonder how much at this point in uh, the Haslam's ownership tenure, how much of this is these people interviewing them? You know, like you said, you, there, there's a commitment issue, obviously, on the part of the Haslam's, and uh, we've seen it happen over and over again, and you have to go into that interview wondering how much of a of a rope am I going to get here to make sure that I can have success? You know, how quickly do I have to have success? Um, that, you know, if I was going into something like that, I, th those are big questions. Um, I, you know, Josh McDaniels was in the building for a long time, and, and you mentioned um, uh, Peyton was in the, in the building for a long time. Have either of you been on a really long job interview? Like earlier in my career, I went uh, applied for a writing job, and it was an all-day interview. And <laughs> It wasn't like you sit in the room with the same people all day. It's you talk to, to these mm -hmm. people for a little while. Yep. Then you talk to these people. Then you go out to lunch. Then you talk to some more people. And it's like these little groups. And what happens is everybody ends up asking you the same question over and over and over again. Because nobody, they don't apparently right. talk to each other. Right. I'm just like, what could they talk about for that amount of time? I'm wondering if it's the same way. If these GMs are coming into Berea and they'll sit down with, with Dee and Jimmy and they'll talk. And then they'll go and talk to Kevin Stefanski. And they're basically hearing the same thing over and over again. How, what could you go over for seven hours in that job that you couldn't accomplish in, in like two? Yeah, that, that's a good question. And I wonder how that does go. Because I have been through uh, what they call like the car wash at yeah. ESPN and things like that, uh, where you spend the whole entire day, but you're with this person for half an hour and then the next person for half an hour. I did turn down the job, by the way. I was offered it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, it's one of those situations where, you, you know, you do kind of wonder. But in this case, I think that he would have a lot of questions and a lot of things that he would need to get figured out while he is in that building. Whereas Andrew Barry, you know, they probably don't need as much time to sit down with Andrew Barry. He knows the lay of the land. He knows exactly what would be happening if he takes this job. But it's a way different story with George Payton. And and I think the whole stability thing is, you know, if you've been watching this organization from the outside, you know, you saw this team just recently, right? Kind of go all in on on the, uh, you know, Sashi Brown uh, analytics movement and then a year and a half later go away from that. And then you bring in John Dorsey and it's like, oh, John Dorsey's going to be here for five years, right? This, this guy's an established GM, all that, that first draft he had, he drafted his quarterback and now he's gone. You know, I mean, guys aren't lasting more than about 700, 750 days here. And if you've got a good thing going somewhere and, 
you know, GM jobs are always going to be coming open across the league in different organizations. If, if you come into the, the Browns building and you aren't in love with the setup and, and you don't necessarily feel comfortable that, you know, if you don't go in and win right away, you're, you're not going to have that job very long. Even if you do win right away, you might not have that job very long because, you know, Mike Pettin and Ray Farmer started seven and four and then they were out of work, uh, you know, a, a year later. You know, you just don't know what's going to happen here because this organization changes its mind so quickly and, and on such a whim. So I, I do think it probably is sort of a, I got to really think if I want to make this commitment. And the other thing to think about is not only when you walk into a building and you are about to become the GM and have final say over the roster, you're basically going to be running the show in a lot of ways. So you have to figure out what will be under your jurisdiction and what will not be. So you, you're probably meeting with and, and trying to find out the lay of the land in terms of what your in-house media is like, what your training staff is like, you know, just all of those kinds of things. How much uh, requirement will you have or say will you have over the business side? There are so many things uh, that he's going to have to try to figure out here. Uh, and the other thing is that, you know, there will be probably another half a dozen jobs open next year. He's a very highly sought-after GM candidate. He's turned down multiple interviews to run the Jets. He's turned down the Dolphins. Uh, he has interviewed with the Colts. He's interviewed for the 49ers jobs. So he is sought after not only this year, but next year uh, there will probably be a lot of teams that, that will be after him, especially because he's so highly visible now in this hiring hiring cycle. So he doesn't need to be in a huge rush to take this. And a lot of times the longer these things go, you know, the guy doesn't end up with the job. So I I just don't know how this is going to go yet. So let, let's get to that. The length of time of this. There's there's two questions here. Uh, one from the 330 area code and another one from the 216 area code. The, the first one is, uh, why does it take so long to choose? I understand methodical, but how many times have they done this and they lose their leading candidate? Uh, and then the other question from the 216 area code is, you know, what happens if Peyton says no and Andrew Barry says no and... You know, where do they kind of go from here? Is the length of this concerning? And then what happens if they don't end up with one of the two guys that they really want? You go. Uh, what is the proper length? I mean, uh, and I don't, I mean, John Dorsey was their, was their, yeah, I think he was their top pick, right? It happened during the season. It was somebody they went after. <laughs> Took about a day. <laughs> well, yeah. So, um, you know, I think everybody kind of remembers back to Petten and how he was kind of like down the line and everybody assumed he was kind of, what was left. So uh, I don't, I don't see this as being too long. I think the, what's weird is that they have a coach already. And so it makes it seem like they're somehow behind the eight ball and they've, they've somehow messed up the process, but this is what they want to do. They wanted to have the coach in place and, and they're going to go from there. I, I don't know that, you know, if, if both those guys do not take the job, I mean, the Texas Texans didn't have a GM this year and they made the playoffs. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, it can happen. It can it can work. I don't know how fans would feel about that, knowing that uh, Paul D. Podesta would probably have a bigger role than maybe they had originally anticipated. Uh, it seems like fans aren't really big on that, but uh, you know, it, it has happened. There have been teams that go through a season without a GM. Well, I, I actually don't think that it's taking too long. I don't think that's the issue. And even Kevin Stefanski said last night at the Greater Cleveland Sports Awards that they will take their time to find the right guy. The thing that I wonder about is 
how will Andrew Barry feel now that they have had this second interview with George Payton? You know, how will he feel about taking the job if they come back to him at this point and they say, hey, Andrew, the job is yours. Come on. Come on back to Cleveland. You know, he might have second thoughts about that, wondering if Kevin Stefanski, you know, really wants to work with him. I think he does. I mean, those guys did get to know each other during the coaching search last year, and then they stayed in touch. So I do think that they could work together, and I think they probably could overcome this issue, uh, the perception issue that George Payton is Stevin, Kevin Stefanski's first choice. I think they can get past that. I just would have to wonder, again, with six jobs coming open next year and Andrew being in a really good spot with the Eagles right now, will he jump to take this job? And if he doesn't, is Monty Ossenfort – Still out there, the director of college scouting from the Patriots. Best name of the bunch. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how this goes in the next few days, the next week, whatever it takes. And, uh, you know, it is important to note, too, that if we got into a scenario, like you said, Scott, where maybe they don't have a GM for a little while, they do still have guys in the building, holdovers from from the previous regime, the, you know, the guys at the Senior Bowl right now. Uh, you know, your scouting staff is still in place. You've got Alonzo Highsmith. You've got Elliot Wolf that can kind of run the show a, a little bit if, if this takes some time. Because I think even if a new GM came in, we wouldn't see big changes to that part of the operation, uh, at least until after the draft. I mean, how many times do we see it happen right teams get through the draft and then you see all these reports that they fired their entire scouting staff or, yeah. or something like that the the reality is is we're into the draft process and you know while kevin stefanski and the coaches are kind of just starting to dip their toes in a lot of the work has been done already as far as all that is concerned and now it's starting to get into meeting prospects and having workouts and things like that so the browns are equipped i think to go through that process even if this guy's not in place yet for another say two weeks or something. I don't think it'll be two weeks, but let's just say, you know, for another two weeks. Yeah. And another thing to consider here is that there are two really good experienced personnel guys still on the job in Elliot Wolf and Alonzo Highsmith. Elliot Wolf is probably uh, at some point going to be a, a GM candidate. And, you know, he might even be ready for that job. I don't think he would get it here, but, um, be just because, you know, that's kind of too much of a holdover from the from the Dorsey regime. But he is at that level and really wanted to get that job in Green Bay uh, before he came here. So they have some really qualified talent evaluators and guys that kind of could be GMs, are very close to becoming GMs. So they can get the job done if they need to until they get their guy in place. Okay, let's uh, let's get to another question here. This comes from Tim in Waterville, Ohio. I've never heard of Waterville, Ohio. Have you guys? No, okay, no I have not. That's a new one. Well, Tim, we learned something from you. Uh, what are the Browns looking for in this GM? Uh, does he evaluate talent and hire? Is it an equal role with the head coach? And they both report to Haslam, whoever they're reporting to. Uh, what, what are they looking for in, in this candidate, do you think? That's a good question because John Dorsey was uh, – apparently told that they wanted him his role to change and everybody knows he has the big scouting background so you would assume that they wanted him to lean more that way um you know if Andrew Barry comes back he was the VP of player personnel so he has a lot of experience there I would think that they would want a GM who's maybe more on the scouting side um someone who can handle that because you have you have like you said you have Wolf you have Heinz Smith you have a staff there that that has experience this person wouldn't be stepping in presumably and, and 
gutting that, especially if those people, at least not until after the draft, because <laughs> um, those people are in place. So I would think that they want somebody who's who has that scouting background, who maybe will do for them what they were hoping John Dorsey would shake things up in his responsibilities to do. And, and I actually think, and I think that Jimmy Haslam mentioned this in his postseason press conference, that um, they really do want sort of a CEO GM, somebody that can really oversee the whole operation and doesn't necessarily need uh, to be out at every college game in the fall, somebody that can really run that personnel department and oversee how contracts are done, oversee everything, you know, the draft. Uh, I really think that they're looking for a very strong person that can handle that job uh, in addition to being a talent evaluator and, ha and having a good pair of eyes that way. I also think that they want this person to be, and we know this by now, uh, very open to the whole analytics piece. They, they want that GM, uh, you know, John Dorsey came in and told us that he was like 80 or 85% football, 15% analytics. That's not going to fly with this new GM. They have to be really open to the input that they're going to be getting in personnel decisions and coaching decisions. So I'm sure George Payton is open to that. We know Andrew Barry is very open to all of that. Uh, but, yeah, so alignment, collaborative, CEO. Uh, I want to answer one quick question here uh, because we did mention it in passing, but Randy in Parkersburg, West Virginia, asked who's leading the contingent in Mobile this week at the Senior Bowl, and that would be, uh, of course, Wolf and, and Highsmith. Uh, I did see an interesting um, tweet from Tom Pelissero, uh this morning that I guess teams are going to get less inter fewer interviews at the Combine this year uh, because of the schedule adjustment. They moved the workouts to uh, to the evening. And so teams are actually getting fewer interviews. They get a little more time, like three or four more minutes, uh, but fewer interviews at the uh, at the combine. So these interviews in Mobile are a little bit more important. Obviously, not all the draft prospects are there. These are just this is just a hand selected group of seniors. Uh, but there is some importance to these interviews, and and so it would be Wolf and Highsmith leading those. Of course, those are all those all go on video, and you know the new GM will get to watch those. But uh, do you kind of wish the GM was maybe there to to conduct some of these interviews uh, the, the, in, in a perfect world? In a perfect world, yes. But I think they can catch up to it. And from a from a talent evaluation standpoint, they have all of it on film. So even Kevin Stefanski said he can watch all of this. So I think it is important from an interview standpoint, but I've actually worked up on Radio Row at, at the Combine, I mean at the Senior Bowl, where I've watched the Browns have their, uh, their like team psychologist interviewing the players. So there are different ways to go about it, and that's one way you know to really – dig into these guys and do your due diligence is have the uh, have the team psych getting more of a personality feel for them. So I still think that they are getting good work done, even though they don't have their GM in place. Yeah, that's a lot of players to talk to over a short amount of time. I'm sure NFL teams aren't really upset if it's getting uh, scaled back, especially if they're getting more time. And, and again, this isn't the first time they're meeting a lot of these players. They've had right. scouts out in the field. They've talked to coaches and they've done a background and they've been following some of these guys for years so mm -hmm. it's not like you know they're just coming onto the radar at the combine and this is the first time they're having a chance to to meet them so uh, or at least i know head coach wise or guys who are actually in berea uh maybe it's their first time but but the browns have information on all these guys so i think yeah it seems to make sense yeah i don't, I don't think there's a 
too much to really get worried about. Again, because they have, uh, you know, so many, they have experienced people there who are running it. They have a scouting staff that's been in place and, and they know a lot of, they know a lot of these guys with the interviews. You're just kind of trying to get an idea of, you know, if we draft this guy, what's it going to be like, <laughs> you know, is, is he a head case is, or is he just, you know, a, a normal, normal kid who happens to be good at football. Uh, and, and, and that's just sort of the stuff you're looking for. And if it's somebody that you really are considering with the number 10 overall pick, you will have so much time with that guy by the time you get to the draft. In addition to that 18-minute interview that you can do at the Combine, you will probably conduct a private workout with him. You'll go to his right. pro day, and then you will maybe bring him into Berea for a more extensive interview. So by the time they get to that date, they'll know their guy. You know what I, I hope what, what they need to do change at the Combine is they need to outlaw people asking, hey, did you meet with this team? Did, did you meet with this team? Ugh. You every sit at these podiums at every player. Interview. One person starts it. Hey, did you meet with the the Panthers? And then the next five questions. Did you meet with the Titans? Okay. <laughs> there needs to be, and I think I've pointed this out to people around me before when we were there, that they need to come out and everybody needs to have a little sign that they yes. hold up that, <laughs> yeah, exactly. that has a check mark next to every team they've interviewed so we could just look at it and just avoid that question because you're right, half the or half yeah. the their interview time is just, and then somebody will walk up, you know, halfway through and, <laughs> you know, ask the same team that, that would, but can you imagine the kind of magic tricks Bob Wiley could do with an extra few minutes oh my gosh. <laughs> in a, in a combine be interview. Incredible. And the other unintended consequence of 45 interviews instead of 60, earlier bar time for <laughs> talent evaluators. So we will see a lot of people out a little earlier. A lot of times we have to wait until 11 o'clock to uh, start trying to network, as we like to say. Well, we'll see because the workouts are at night now. Oh. Yeah, they were talked about yeah. switching it. Like you had the interviews... During the day, I think they were talking about moving. Yeah. And and I'm not sure how that would work because usually is... the interviews are, are in the uh, morning and afternoon. <laughs> how late, Dan? How late like, are I don't. I don't know. Them? I haven't planned that far ahead. <laughs> this thing's at the end of February. I don't know what I'm doing tomorrow. <laughs> this is a bunch oh. of inside baseball for uh, for all of you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, and the best part about the uh, have you met with five million teams, a lot of times these guys stand up there and say, I don't know. They don't remember. Yeah, they don't remember who they met with. They're going room to room in, in these hotels, the, the train station, as they call it, and they don't remember who they met with. Right. Okay, we're going to take a quick break here. Uh, when we get back, we have some questions about, of course, Odell Beckham, the coaching staff, all of that. We're going to get to some of your texter questions uh, when we get back after this break. Welcome back to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. I'm Dan Lobby, along with Mary Kay Cabot and Scott Patsko. Uh, Ellis Williams is out of town this week, so I'm sitting in this chair uh, again today. Let's get to some questions that came in about, look, let's just let's just get to Odell Beckham. I don't think we've talked about the Odell Beckham stuff. Uh, someone asked about Odell uh, and if the Browns, let me see if I can find it here. Um, and Kevin Stefanski uh, brought him up as well. Uh, Odell Beckham was at the championship game. Uh, the college championship game, of course, was handing out money, uh, slapping security guards on the butt, and a lot of butt slapping headlines yes. on our website <laughs> over that week between him and Tristan Thompson. Uh, you know, just a lot of antics during the championship game. It was sort of, it had to be sort of a welcome to life as an NFL head coach moment for Kevin Stefanski. 
the question was, basically, I haven't heard the Browns say a lot about Odell Beckham. Uh, last night, we did get to finally hear from Kevin Stefanski, and he said he's going to talk with Odell. He's going to meet with Odell. Odell, of course, just had surgery uh, to deal with that core muscle injury. As all this is going on, and Mary Kay, as you're writing story after story mm-hmm. about this thing, yep. what, what's going through your mind? You know what? One of the things that is going through my mind is the fact that Odell Beckham Jr. is good for business. He's good for business in Cleveland. He brings a lot of attention to the Cleveland Browns. He is the reason that the Browns, a major reason that the Browns were placed in primetime football in three out of their first five weeks last year. I'm sure he's great for ticket sales. He's wonderful for jersey sales. We occasionally get a click or two on some of our stories when we write about Odell Beckham Jr. Just a click or two. And he is a (laughs) heck of a football player. So I know while some people are writing columns that they think the Browns should trade Odell Beckham Jr., I am not for that at all. I am here for it. Bring it on. I think that with a new coach, with some structure, with some discipline, with some good play calling that we didn't see here last year, I think he can flourish under Kevin Stefanski. And I think that uh, everyone just kind of needs to calm down a little bit. I hope the meeting goes well with Kevin Stefanski and Odell Beckham Jr. today. I hope Odell wants to be here. And I hope that Kevin Stefanski says, I'm going to make sure that you are the superstar that you truly are. Yeah, I think at this point, uh, you you stick with him. Um, The money, yes, he's making a lot of money. And as a wide receiver group, the Browns are investing a lot of money in in that position. But... I don't think he's done enough to say that, you know, I don't want to deal with that. There was a point this right after the season when I was going to do uh, a drama awards for the Browns. I was going through all the things that happened, and it was a long list. And I stopped because Odell was going to win, like, almost everything. Like, he had so much involved with his season that had nothing to do with football. It was just incredible. But on the field... I think now that we know that he wasn't 100%, I think you you need to give yourself the chance to see what he looks like here with the Browns at full strength. Um, And now, you know, he's going to have a a new offensive coordinator, a new offense in general, Um, you know, get a chance to get Baker Mayfield right past whatever happened to him last season. So I I don't think you you move on from Odell. I don't think having a meeting with him early I think is smart and kind of setting some ground rules and maybe just getting to know him and, you know, building that relationship. But I think you need to see what he can do this season and you need to see what he can do at full strength. Yeah. The the question came from the seven, seven, three area code. And, and one of the things they, they asked is if the Browns are ignoring it because he's a star. And I don't think that's the case. Now Adele's going to have a little more wiggle room to do some stuff because he is a, a great player and he is a star and he does sell tickets and jerseys and, and all of that stuff. So, so there is going to be a little more wiggle room, but I, I don't think they're looking necessarily looking the other way because of it. And the other thing is the more I th- I've thought about it, you know, what happened in new Orleans it, he just the the only real issue I had is he just kind of took attention away from an LSU team that had a great run and was a great story, and he managed to kind of make that those couple of days about Odell, and and I think that was kind of the the biggest issue, and that's just sort of what happens with Odell, right? Like he does stuff, it's very public, it goes on social media, whether it's from him or somebody else, and uh, it, it takes a lot of attention away sometimes 
maybe attention that shouldn't be going on him and should be going on someone else. That's sort of what you deal with with him. But I mean, I guess if that's the worst that's going to happen, he's probably worth the talent, especially because even though this coach and this GM didn't give up those assets, you did give up real assets to bring him in. And to give up on that after one year, that just doesn't seem like a very wise, a wise thing to do. No, and, and I think, you know, the key is he needs to want to be here. Yes. And he, he's got to be happy. You have to have a very happy Odell. You have to be feeding him. I mean, you just have to. It's like having a LeBron in your midst. You have to treat that person as a superstar in every way. But for everything that he's ever done, he's not an Antonio Brown, right? I mean, he's not a Josh Gordon or some of these other receivers that have had real legal troubles and serious issues, okay? He's somebody that, uh, you know, there's a lot of focus and attention on him, and people seem to be out to get him sometimes. There's a lot of gotcha when it comes to OBJ, (laughs) right? And, you know, I, I don't know. I really like him as a person. I really like him as a player. And I hope that he sticks around. Well, number one, you can't slap a cop on the butt. And I can't. No. (laughs) I I don't know. I don't know how I got out of that situation without any sort of punishment. That just set a really bad precedent. It was a bad look. And it was, I don't know, any other situation where you could smack someone on the butt and them being upset about it and, and just nothing happens. And the fact that it was a cop, I don't know, you know. It's it's LSU. It's where he went. But Odell, I think, sometimes forgets that people are always watching him. Mm-hmm. A lot of the things, like you said, that he's involved in, they're just stupid. Like, it's just, it, it's dumb drama. It isn't yeah. like the watch and the visor and the, the shoes, shoes and, and him complaining about drug testing. And, and it's just, a lot of it's just dumb. And I don't know if he, if he understands fully, like, how, how that's going to be a story. Because of how good he is as a football player, he creates this other news. And then, you know, of course, he'll come back to us and say that, you know, it's me and I can't be me because, you know, being me is hard. And that big speech he gave during training camp about what it's like to be Odell. So I think maybe he needs to get a better grasp of the fact that, yeah, the cameras are always on you. So maybe, you know, maybe don't do those dumb things because then you don't have to worry about it. I. I kind of think he does. I I don't know. I to me in that sort of stuff, I don't really want to give him the benefit of the doubt there. I think it, by this point, he knows, and uh, you know, I think there are probably certain times when maybe something will catch him off guard. But I just, I, I mean, this guy knows at the after a championship game, there's going to be a million cameras on the field, and if you're running around and handing out money, real or fake money, whatever, it's going to get caught. It's going to go viral. People are going to talk about it, and I think. Then you can't complain about it, though. Right. I think he knows that. I think he kind of likes having that drama a a little bit and sometimes maybe playing the victim a little bit in some of those situations. Um, But, you know, I I think he he knows when when he's out in public and he's doing stuff like that, there's going to be some focus on Odell Beckham. Well, we're talking about someone that wore a kilt to the Met Gala and someone who wore... I don't know what that was, uh, you know, the beige thing with oh, the little right. with the uh, fanny pack in the front <laughs> of it. Yeah. Uh, you know, he is someone that he likes attention. He is not only a football player, he's an entertainer. And he likes to draw that attention to himself because actors and entertainers and people in the, in the spotlight, uh, they enjoy that attention. So I think it's part of the Odell brand. 
And I also think it's it is why he the Browns end up on primetime football three times in the first five weeks because they have someone who is that kind of a superstar, not just on the field, but off the field. You can think of other players that are as good as Odell Beckham Jr. on the field, and they don't draw that kind of attention to themselves, and therefore they are not international celebrities. But he is an international celebrity. He likes it that way, and that's never going to change. Okay, let's get into uh, a couple questions about the new coaching staff. Uh, Of course, uh, unofficially, the Browns defensive coordinator uh, likely going to end up being Joe Woods from the 49ers. He's their defensive backs coach, uh, has a long history as a defensive backs coach, and also as the defensive coordinator in Denver for a couple years, has won a Super Bowl. Uh, he, he was the defensive backs coach for Denver when they won the Super Bowl, uh, and that defense kind of carried Peyton Manning to uh, into retirement with a ring. Um, and look, it wouldn't be an off season if we didn't talk about tackling. So from the three three zero area code, I hope that the new DB coach, I think he means the defensive coordinator, can teach the Browns to tackle the way the 49ers DBs do that. Steve and Suffield. Uh, I get the feeling we're going to talk a lot about tackling this off season. There's going to be a lot of stories written about we're going to tackle better this year, just like there is every off season. Uh, but Joe Woods, after the Super Bowl, he'll likely be named the defensive coordinator. Uh, TJ Carey had nothing but good things to say about him. He was TJ Carey's defensive backs coach when, when he was a rookie. What do you guys think of this hire? Do you think that's getting a guy from the 49ers, that defense and what they did this year, a team that went to the Super Bowl? I, I don't think that's a bad thing to go that route. And obviously he's a guy that Kevin Stefanski knows well. They have worked together for eight yeah. years in Minnesota. And I think that is vitally important. Those two hires and he might not hire an OC per se. He might do the whole passing game coordinator, run game coordinator thing and not have the traditional OC. I suspect he's probably going to call his own plays now that Bill Callahan is on board. But those those hires are so vitally important, and I think he has a comfort level with Joe Woods. He knows how Joe is going to like to have things done. They know how they're going to work together. They speak the same language. And so I think that's vitally important. And in talking to TJ last night, and Dan, you wrote a story about it, but um, I also caught up with him in the hallway a little bit before that. He just said he is going to be really, really hard on all of us, and he's going to be very demanding, and he's going to expect the best out of us. And, you know, guys better kind of brace themselves for that. You can make the Browns into a good tackling team. They'll build a statue for you. We've (laughs) been talking about tackling with this team for a while now. Uh, I do know when he was with the Broncos, they were a good run defense team. Yeah. Uh, and I believe they were, well, they had some, they had Von Miller and they had a, you know, they had a right. bunch of talented players, but they, they also tackled pretty well. Um, so, you know, he, he does have experience have having a defense excel in those things. I think, yeah, run defense and tackling. That's, you know, it's same thing with Steve Wilkes. You know, same thing when he stood up there and first yeah. press conference, those were some of the first questions he was asked, you know, what do you do about tackling? He said, right. priority number one. <laughs> and, uh, it, you know, they still kind of struggled a little bit. They got better. They weren't as bad as they were yeah. uh, uh, the previous season. But, but yeah, it's something they need to improve on. Well, last year, too, when you look at the tackling, I mean, you have to uh, consider the fact that the whole second half of the year, they really didn't have Miles Garrett or Olivier Vernon. They didn't have Morgan Burnett, who is a good tackler. They didn't have Christian Kirksey. Uh, so they lost four starters for most of the season right there. 
And then, you know, they were playing with Porter Gustin and guys that we didn't even know existed <laughs> until they all of a sudden we're, we look out there and they're in the lineup. So mm-hmm. things got a little dicey there in the second half. Yeah, and, and you know, I'm kind of of the belief that I don't know if you can teach tackling at the NFL level. I think you're either a good tackler or not, but you get so little time with these guys and you can't be physical in camp and you can't, you certainly, I mean, you can't do anything in the spring, but even in training camp, you just can't be real physical anymore. I, I don't know how much you can actually teach guys to tackle. I, I think you, when you get to this level, you're either a good tackler or you're not. And you kind of, as a defensive coordinator, you got to work around that uh, a little bit. Um, but, I, you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens. I do think it's a little st- – I think it's kind of funny that, you know, you got these two teams in the Super Bowl and <laughs> – the offensive coordinator for one team isn't getting a job. The defensive coordinator for another team isn't getting a job. They were both candidates and, you know, Joe Woods, one of the defensive backs coach is going to get a, a defensive coordinator job. It's just strange how all of that is, is shaking out uh, in, in this hiring process. Yeah. It, it will be very interesting to see how, uh, how this hiring cycle and next hiring cycle goes, because obviously you've got, uh, like you said, two of the candidates that are in the Super Bowl, Eric Bieniemy and Robert Sala. So next year they'll be back in the hiring cycle and you know we will be forever comparing those guys to Kevin Stefanski and how it all shakes out. Well, I mean with the Haslam's around, you never know. Maybe they'll be <laughs> you just never know. Hopefully not, but you, yeah. you just uh you you never know. Oh, and I'm looking forward to I'm going to the Super Bowl on Tuesday. So I'm looking forward to trying to catch up with Joe Woods and I'm afraid he's going to say, I'm only focused on the Super Bowl. I'm not talking about this. That's probably what I'm going to get. But hopefully I can talk to some players about him and what makes him special and things like that. Yeah, well, lucky for you, uh, one of the most talkative players oh, yeah. plays for him in Richard Sherman. I know. So I'm sure you'll I'm sure you'll get something good out of him. Yep. Um, as, as we go through this, and we were talking about this before we kind of came on, uh, you know, the Browns are putting this staff together. And we've all been through this so much. And, you know, you always go through these hiring processes. And I think for the most part, we come away thinking, okay, they did a really good job. They hired some really good people. I feel like this fan base and, and even us, too, I think we're all a little more cynical about it this time around. I, I'm just wondering, does this actually feel different this time to you guys? Or and I know for me, I'm kind of just taking a wait and see. Let's see what happens in September approach to all of this. Like, I think Joe Woods could be really good, but I don't know. I mean, let's let's see in, in September. It does seem like everybody's just kind of hit the wall with the turnover thing. You know, after going through it all, it didn't really happen with with uh, with Freddie Kitchens coming. It didn't really happen with Dorsey. It, but now, definitely, like you said, there are a lot of people who are like, eh, we'll see. You know, nobody really knows how they're going to do. And, you know. Todd Munkin and Freddie Kitchens looked like a, a great pairing, you know, these offensive <laughs> minds and and what kind of creativity were they come up with? And it just, you know, kind of fizzled. Well, last year at this time, hope sprung eternal. The Browns mm-hmm. had the way that they finished last year. Everyone was so excited about that. It seemed like Baker Mayfield was on his way to being, you know, a perennial Pro Bowl player. Everybody was so excited about Freddie Kitchens, the explosive offense, and uh, it just seemed like the future was bright. Mm-hmm. And I think they're, everyone is so cautiously optimistic this year. I mean, look, they lost four out of their last five games, had to fire the coach, had to fire the GM that was hailed as the savior of this football team uh, when he was hired at the end of 2017. So 
you know, so I think everyone is a little bit uh, coach search weary, GM search weary, and, you know, and rightfully so. I mean, this Kevin Stefanski and this regime, they're going to have to prove themselves. And I think people are kind of waiting, waiting and wondering to see who the GM is and how these guys might work together. Maybe if, if they get the GM in and people start talking about that kind of thing and you start hearing from some of these new coordinators and the new GM, people start to get excited again. But it's a, it's a long-suffering fan base. The Browns had had so little to be excited about, you know, the fan base. And when the end of 2018 came along, it was finally something like, all right, it seems like they're going in the right direction. And I think a lot of people got burned by that. Mm-hmm. Yes. Some people made predictions they don't want to talk about <laughs> anymore. But, <laughs> you know, that, I think, is what everybody's remembering now. Right. And not that they finished this season great, but they know that that just failed so miserably. Right. So that now it's just... You know, all right, let's see what happens week one, and we'll go from there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you can't get excited about Odell Beckham Jr., Jarvis Landry, Nick Chubb, right. Kareem Hunt, Baker Mayfield, Miles Garrett, Denzel Ward, and Greedy Williams, like, where do you go from there? You know what I mean? <laughs> but I think that uh, – I really think that they are going to be so much better coached this year that, that people can keep their expectations kind of low, and I think that – the Browns, hopefully for them, will exceed them. Yeah, I, th- this might work out in their favor a little bit mm-hmm. because I think last year the expectations were – and it wasn't just here. I, I mean, there were national podcasts yep. and things I was listening to, and they loved the Browns. They were so excited about the Browns. Oh, this team could you know, make – I mean, there were some people who really put you – know, they could get to the AFC Championship game. They could do – you know, maybe they'll play Kansas City. And those expectations were so high and – it turned out that you hired a coach that was in over his head and it just didn't work out. But I still think you look at this roster and think it's really talented. How much is better coaching worth? Is it worth two more wins? Is it worth three more wins? How much is maybe Baker Mayfield going through what he went through last season and and maybe now approaching this off season a little differently? How much is that going to change things? Does Odell Beckham maybe think about coming to OTAs this year? (laughs) You know, even though he just had that surgery, he should be healthy by then. You know, they're, they're going to go into this year and everybody's going to kind of be looking at them a little side-eyed. And, and I think that's maybe good for this team because now they can go into the year, you know, not with expectations, but with, we're going to prove everybody wrong now. We're going to prove to everybody that last year was a fluke and we're better than they think we are. And we're, we're going to prove everybody wrong. And that might end up being a good thing for this team because the, the talent is still there. Yeah, the talent is still there. And the more that I talk to people this offseason, and I knew it was a train wreck, and we tried to capture that as much as we possibly could during the season. But the more the people that I talk to, especially as they're kind of, you know, some people on their way out the door, the more you realize just how bad it was last year. And I do believe that your 13-3 and three prediction... <laughs> what? <laughs> Scott. I don't remember that. No. Uh, I do believe we would have gotten closer to all of our lofty predictions. Well, I mean, you and I picked 10-6. and six. Exactly. I mean, I think 10-6 and six was the most pessimistic pick that we had on our staff. Right. Yeah. But with better coaching, they would have been there. All you had to do was... I mean, one of the things was, and we have documented this, was like a lot more play action. And then if Miles Garrett doesn't do what Miles Garrett did, which... I attribute in part to some of the lack of order and discipline in general on the football team. Mm -hmm. You know, the defense doesn't go down 
you know, down the drain in the second half of the season. So this was absolutely 100% a roster capable of winning at least 10 games this season. Right. Well, the only expectation that matters is the expectation of the Haslam's, right? Right. I think I wrote a few weeks ago, like, what, under what scenario do the Browns not make the playoffs next season and people don't get fired based on what's happened right. this past season? You know, how, how would that look? How can the Browns go like eight and eight or nine and seven, miss the playoffs and everything's cool? You know, Haslam talked about the core of the team and how he said nobody came in here during interviews and said, this is a rebuild. They right. know they have a good core and there are expectations there in the building. Right. Like how, you know, other than like Baker Mayfield getting hurt or like, what was it, 2007 when they went 10 and 6 and yeah. missed out? Like other than something weird like that, yeah. which, you know, 11 wins or 10 wins and not making the playoffs, which which happens but doesn't happen a ton. I don't, you know, how do they miss the playoffs and not and not have big changes again? Well, I don't necessarily think that they will have big changes. I mean, one of the things that, that we all need to consider is the uh, the division is going to get pretty tough next year. Yeah. And you still have to get past the Baltimore Ravens. Mm-hmm. So, that, you know, there's a chance that the Browns over the next how many ever years are going to be fighting their tails off for wild card spots be- just because of what the Ravens are going to be able to accomplish. Now you're going to have to deal with Joe Burrow. So it's not going to be easy. And Ben Roethlisberger probably coming back and the – and the Steelers, if they had a quarterback this year, I think would have made the playoffs. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's not going to be easy. And I do think that they're going to have to look going to have to look at the big picture. You want a competitive football team, and you want to be making the playoffs. But this AFC North is going to be tough. I, I yeah, I mean, I do, I do think there are scenarios where you could go nine and seven, mm-hmm. right? And right. maybe you aren't playing wild card weekend, and uh, everything's okay. If you go six and ten again, if you go seven and nine and look bad again, I, I think that's when you start to to worry a little bit. Uh, but I do think, you know, if you go nine and seven and miss the playoffs, okay, is that really worth going through this one and done thing all over again? I don't know. I mean, we know that, that maybe they don't care, but I, I think there are some scenarios where that could happen. But the expectations are still going to be, I think, internally that that this team can be really good. But I do think this organization was humbled a little bit by what happened this year. I mean, just look at how everything went with this coaching hire. You know, there wasn't some this big pomp and circumstance. We went to the stadium because that's what they do, and they get their photos at the stadium with the family and stuff, and it's sort of an experience for the coach and the family too. But we were downstairs in the press conference room with there, you know, there were a few team employees there, but with Freddie, we were upstairs in that, that big like lounge and there were employees everywhere and they really made a big production out of it. And there was a lot of cheerleading and uh, slogans being coined and all of that. And this was very low key this year. And they did Paul D. Podesta and Jimmy Haslam in the locker room. And it, it wasn't a big pep rally. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see what the uniform unveil is going to look like this year. Is it going to be like it was a few years ago when they rented out a huge chunk of the convention center and made a big show out of it? Or is it going to be a little more low-key? I, I do feel like in that action-speak-louder-than-words situation, it does feel to me like, at least for now, in some ways, last season maybe humbled 
the organization as a whole a little bit. Well, remember, they had corporate partners at the Freddie Press Conference. Yeah. Yeah. They, there were fans. I mean, it was an extravaganza. And it had seemed like, like Miles later said, the Browns have arrived, right? I mean, it seemed yeah. like they were announcing, we are here and we are going places. And even I remember Jimmy and Dee walking around at the owners' meetings, and they were just getting kudos. They couldn't walk three feet without people congratulating them for it just seemed like, you know, we are here. And I think they learned from that. And like you said, now it's understated, and now they actually have to go out and prove it on the field. Yeah, I don't think we're going to get a Players' Tribune piece the week the season starts (laughs) (laughs) declaring that the Browns have arrived. I, right. I think maybe that's not going to happen this year. We'll see, though. Right. We know how things can, can change once uh, all those training camp videos start littering Twitter feeds and, and all of that. But we're still a long ways away from that, as the weather outside shows us. All right. That'll do it for this edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Again, uh, we mentioned Football Insider right off the top of the show. I do want to give it another mention here uh, as well. Check that out at cleveland.com slash browns. It's three ninety nine a month. You get a two-week free trial. You get texts uh, from Mary Kay, Scott, uh, Ellis, and me, and then also uh, a daily newsletter with content that does not show up anywhere on our website uh, for people who aren't subscribed to Football Insider. So check that out. Do the two-week free trial. See what you think. Ask us questions. We try to respond as much as possible. And and once the season starts, we do Q&As. We do all sorts of fun stuff there as well. So uh, it's it's a chance to kind of get some access to us. Uh, that maybe you might not get otherwise. Uh, So that'll do it for Scott and Mary Kay. I am Dan. Thanks for listening, everybody.